Hi, I'm Beverly, and welcome to the Make Fashion Better podcast. During this series, I'll be discussing the tips, tricks, and lessons learned after over 15 years in the luxury fashion industry, and how you can implement these in your own business to build a profitable, scalable, and most importantly, value-driven brand that puts people and planet at the forefront. You can join me as I learn more about the challenges surrounding sustainability and ethics in our industry, and what we can all do to take more responsibility for the part we play. So, let's get stuck in. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast today. I hope you're well. I am creating an episode today all about production and in particular one method of production which I am a huge, huge advocate for. This is a method which I've used throughout my career. Every brand that I've worked for have utilised it as have most of the brands that I have consulted with and that's because this method of production is particularly well suited to occasion wear. It's very commonplace in that industry but it's also a method that works really well at the luxury end of the market and sustainable or slow fashion businesses also. So the reason I wanted to talk about it today is because I really want to highlight it as something that potentially could be used slightly more widely in the industry. I feel like there are more brands that could potentially embrace this either for part or all of their production that will kind of require a bit of mindset change in terms of the brands and also the consumers but I think there are so many potential positives to it that it's something that I want to start the conversation on a bit more um, and get people talking about. So it's come off the back of the fact that I wrote an article a few weeks ago that I put on LinkedIn which garnered a reasonable amount of attention, mostly positive. There were some really good comments from people on their use of this method but also a few negatives and those mostly pertained to customer experience um, and expectation. So I wanted to make an episode all about it so I could talk through my feelings on what potentially might need to change in the industry but also make it really clear that when I'm thinking about this method of production It's not about saying that the entire industry needs to swap to this and this is going to be the golden ticket towards fixing all the problems that we have in our industry in terms of major lack of sustainability and huge overconsumption and overproduction problems. However, I do feel like it's one part of the puzzle and it's something that if we can get more people to accept and understand and utilise, then potentially it has some quite far-reaching impact on what we do as brands and how we shop as consumers. So the method of production that I am talking about is made-to-order production. So you might have come across this, you might not, but it differs quite a lot from the bulk production method which is most widely used within the industry and particularly in fast fashion and obviously that is where there is much more of a challenge to help move brands away from that bulk overproduction system, which they're so used to working with. But what I will start by doing is just talking through the difference between bulk production and made-to-order production, and then we can go through a few of the kind of pros and cons related to that, so that you can understand a little bit more about where it can help 
and what challenges there are to overcome if you were to take this on as a production method. So firstly, let's quickly talk through the stages of bulk production as a production model. Obviously, you would initially start the beginning of the season by forecasting for the season ahead. That will involve trends analysis, looking at what is popular within the industry, what is likely to be, and also looking back at previous sales to decide what has sold well, what hasn't, what you should continue with, what you should invest in more heavily, what you should remove from your collection. Now, obviously, for a new brand, that's particularly difficult because you don't have any historical data to look back on. So a lot of that would potentially come from looking around at your competition, seeing what they've sold, what sold out and seemed to be quite a success and also the things that were left hanging around in the sale for a really long time. Potentially that's kind of a warning sign in terms of what you might want to make. And then off the back of all of that research and forecasting, you would decide what you want to have in your range and start your product development ready to sign off your samples so that you can produce them. So you would do your production up front, get all of your stock ready and you would then launch it with goods in a warehouse waiting to go. People would order and they would get their delivery normally within a day or two of the stock going live. What happens next is you would be monitoring sales and obviously anything that isn't selling very well would then be considered for markdown. Now, that means that within the costings that you have created for your product, you would need to have contingency built in there, knowing that it's really unlikely that you will sell through every item of stock you have. So you would then go into markdown and anything that's left over, you would then need to decide what to do with. Now, unfortunately, in a lot of cases, any goods that are left over after a certain period of time, after a season's completed, will then need to be removed as waste from your company, which means in a lot of cases, unfortunately, those goods are destroyed. So they're incinerated, they're sent to landfill so that they're written off your financial reports and don't continue to exist as stock. And that's for a number of reasons, which we'll probably get into a little bit later in the podcast. So you need to, again, account for that within your pricing, that there is likely to be some level of waste at the end of your cycle. And then, of course, you will already be deep into your next season, developing your products, using that data from the season before to forecast again, buy in your stock and then go to sale. So now looking at made to order and the differences with that. I'll talk you through the basic schedule. So you would do the same initial period of forecasting, planning and product development. And then at that point, when you have your signed off sample that's approved and ready to go, you would do your photo shoot of your samples. Depending on how you sell, you would load those up online or you would produce samples and send them to your stockists or to your retail stores. Customers would see those pieces, would order from the sample and have items made for them. Now, that's a very, very brief summary and there are lots of different models of that in terms of running a pre-order rather than a pure made-to-order, or it could be that things are made to order on a one-by-one basis. Um, And all of those things will affect the lead time of getting those goods to the customer. But essentially, the definition of having a made-to-order model is that once orders come in, in whatever scenario that might be, you then produce the goods. So you're not producing bulk stock, you're just producing the amount that you need in order to fulfil the orders that you have. 
obviously that then lends a certain amount of flexibility in terms of how much you're producing and it also means that you're very unlikely then to go to markdown or sale because you're very very unlikely to be sitting on any stock and again you would then turn it around for the next season and do the same thing again so I hope that sort of helps to give you a bit of an understanding of the differences between bulk production and made to order and I'm now going to go through in a little bit more detail what the kind of pros and cons are within that that you might want to consider if this is something that you're thinking about for your brand and I will start with some of the challenges some of the cons around made to order because it is really relevant you know spoiler alert as I've already said I'm a huge advocate of it I think there are so many positives to be had but you do also have to understand the challenges and make sure that you're ready to accept those and can sort of make that work and make it viable for your particular business So where should we start? The first one, managing workflow. Now with bulk production, it's pretty formulaic in terms of you design your range, you do your product development, you sign it off, you produce it, you sell it, it goes to sale, goes to end of life. When There's no crossover within that. You just follow those steps for each season. And obviously at some point during that season, probably at the point of launch or maybe even before that, you've then moved on and have started to produce the next season and you follow through all of those steps again so it is a very simplistic way of managing product development and production with nto it's a little bit more complicated to be quite honest because your production will be much more staggered and broken down into smaller batches so you create a collection you launch it and then you start producing once the sales come in so you have to continuously monitor your sales work out what to make and as I said there are various models of this so there are things like pre-order where you can accept pre-orders have a deadline for it and then produce what you need and perhaps a small amount of stock that you know that there's a good chance that you'll sell through on to make that more manageable to potentially hit MOQs within the factories which is something that I'll talk about further on and that does then lead you more down that bulk production very simplistic formulaic production schedule however if you do true mto you have to understand that you're going to be jumping back and forth into production monitoring sales creating more production dockets ordering raw materials throughout so there is a lot more moving pieces and you do have to have a really close eye on your plm which If you don't know about PLM, please go back and listen to my previous episode about that. And you have to understand and be able to manage all of those different pieces as time goes on. It could also mean, depending on what kind of model you choose to adopt, one of the benefits of made to order is that you don't have to stick to specific seasons, as in you launch a collection, you make it, you run it out, you launch another collection. You can launch a made-to-order style and you can sell that for as long as you want to. So if a style's doing really well, you might have that in your collection for five years or more. But that does mean that you are potentially then launching new collections while you're still running production for previous collections. So you kind of have that crossover to deal with as well. So you do just have to keep that in mind. It does make the admin around that a bit more complicated. So the next challenge that I want to highlight is material availability. So something that I just touched on was the fact that with made to order, you have the flexibility of running styles for as long as you would like to. But you also need to consider that you need a really strong, robust supply chain of raw materials because you want to make sure that if you're producing something that you can continue to buy 
the raw materials that you need in order to make it. So it does leave the possibility that you would have to trade in a different fabric at some point. It could be, you know, I have ended up in situations where orders have been taken and you then find out that you're unable for some reason to get the material that you have previously produced in and you therefore have to do a last minute swap out to another material. Sometimes that's really easy, sometimes it's quite an obvious change and therefore you have to manage that from a customer service point of view. So if you're going to do the kind of MTO where you happily allow styles to continue to sell, just factor that in. Again, there are kind of variations on this. So a lot of slow fashion MTO businesses like to utilise opportunities like dead stock which means that you would also then apply a limited edition model to the way you produce. So you could put it out to make to order, but make it clear that it's only available while fabric stocks last. So maybe you have enough to make 10 of a particular dress. And therefore, if you're really clear about that, people will understand it. And actually, that really helps in terms of making it a much more sort of covetable item and something that people are willing to wait to receive. Makes it a bit more exclusive. So do also factor in those opportunities that you might have that might work with your values and vision for your brand. It's not necessarily a downside, but it is something to factor in that you need to make sure that you are happy with availability of materials. So the third challenge I will mention is, you know, it's the elephant in the room. It's small production runs. It's MOQs. Now, If you're already producing, particularly ready-to-wear, much more so than occasion wear, you will know that most manufacturers have some level of MOQ, so minimum order quantity, that they will accept as orders. And that is because of economies of scale. Of course, it is a lot, lot cheaper for a manufacturer to cut together a bulk batch of items in particular sizes or materials, colours, and then sew them. You can squeeze a lot more efficiency out of that than you can cutting things one by one of various sizes, colours, etc. So if you're going to do pure MTO where you're just making things as they're ordered, there are a couple of things that you need to consider. One, you need to find the right kind of manufacturer who's happy to take on that work. And they do exist. They do. It's much easier to control if they're closer to home and something else that I'm a real advocate of is domestic production, you know, producing in your home country and as close to you as possible so that you can build that amazing relationship and you can also really cut down your emissions related to the logistics of moving product around. But if you can find somebody that is happy to work on that basis, that's really important. And also you need to factor in additional costs for that. If you're asking people to cut things one by one, then you have to accept that it will cost more to do that still feasible to produce goods on that basis. You just have to build it into your costings and you have to be clear with your customer about why they're potentially paying a premium for that. And I will just mention at this point, I know that, as I said before, this won't be viable for all business models, certainly not for very, very low cost fast fashion because it just simply can't work for that model. But I, you know, I do feel like the world could do without that anyway. So I don't want to focus on the need to sustain that necessarily because I don't think moving forward it's going to be particularly viable. 
But looking back at that fast fashion bulk production method, as I was saying, you do need to build into your pricing for that contingency for the fact that you're not going to sell through on all of that stock that you're making. So potentially there is a bit of money already in your costings there that you can transfer over to the costs of asking your manufacturer to make in lower quantities, paying them a bit more, paying the people that make your goods a bit more in order for them to produce in lower quantities. And I think that's probably the direction that the industry needs to move in. We need to get used to paying more for things, paying manufacturers more, being fairer and producing less. And degrowth is a whole other topic that I'm sure I will do a podcast on at some point. But let's not go there today. So going back to this, yes, this is a challenge. And again, you can potentially, if you have a manufacturer who is keen to retain an MOQ but is willing to lower them you can still benefit from running something like a pre-order model where you're collating orders and then producing a small bulk every so often rather than doing great big one so there are ways that you can do that and I think communication is really key here when it comes to manufacturers you need to really fully understand what you are expecting sales wise and make sure that your manufacturer is really really clear on that and that you're giving them as much notice as possible about what their production is going to look like. I think that's a really key thing to mention in terms of setting up those relationships in the first place and making sure that they good healthy relationships. Okay so another big one that we need to talk about is the fact that MTO will result in delayed delivery to your customers. You cannot compete with the likes of Zara who have goods on shelves, who have goods in warehouses that they are ready to dispatch within 24 hours and get them to your customer. I think it's next, isn't it, that if you order by midnight, you get delivery the next day. If you're going to be a high quality, ethical, sustainable brand, you can't compete with that. So why try, would be my personal opinion. (laughs) But this is a challenge when it comes to MTO. And again, this relies really heavily on having good, robust PLM systems and great relationships with your manufacturers. But you have to accept that there will be a delay in delivery. You have to communicate that really well with your customers so that they understand what to expect in terms of the goods that you will deliver. Now, as I said, there are brands working on this basis already, not only in fashion, but also in homewares. People are willing to wait for staff when it's something that they really want, when it's something covetable, when it's a brand that has a bit of kudos, that has a good reputation and makes people really want to buy in to what they're doing, into their values and their purpose and their mission and have something that maybe not many other people have. You know, if you think about it in terms of things like There is a perfume subscription model where each season they make one perfume. You receive a beautiful package and every time they launch a collection, it's sold out and they have people on a waiting list for the next season. And think about it as well in terms of tech and cars. You know, people happily pre-order for those kind of goods because it's something that is really covetable and they know they want to receive it. The challenges that you have to building a longer delivery and therefore cannot compete with fast fashion but as I said it's all about clarity and making sure that people understand that that's the case you can minimize that in terms of having those really good robust PLM systems that I mentioned to make sure that you were on top of it with raw material ordering and that you don't therefore cause further delay 
and by having a good understanding with your manufacturer about what capacity you can have within their manufacturing schedule and how quickly they can turn that around. So it's just conversations that you need to have basically. So let's move on. That's all the challenges that I really think are worth highlighting at this point. They're the main ones that you really need to consider. And I now really want to talk about the amazing positive aspects of MTO production and why I think that this is really worth considering, especially if as part of your values, you consider ethics within your supply chain and you want your brand to be as sustainable as possible and you want to be really proud of what you're producing and how you're doing it. So here are the positives that you can think about for that. So firstly, let's talk about the money. Running an MTO production schedule means that you have a business which has very low initial investment and that will continue season to season. Because you're only producing samples, doing a shoot with them or, you know, potentially making wholesale samples that you will be in most cases paid for and then you're not actually running any production until you've received orders, it means that you're just not having to front the cash for bulk production, you're not having to pay up front for something that you don't actually know is going to sell. This can be an absolute game changer for a lot of new brands because it's actually really hard to get investment or to build that investment yourself. Maybe it's from your personal savings. So think about the dual benefits that that brings. Firstly, you are cutting the cost of bringing your goods to market and also you're lowering your risk Because if you launch a brand and it doesn't sell as much as you expect it to, then sure, you're not going to make as much as you would hope. However, you haven't got that risk of having invested in stock that hasn't sold. So you also don't lose money. So it is, I think, a a really important thing and something really, really worthwhile considering for startups. The second huge pro, huge, and this is probably one of the most important things actually as we move forward into the future of the fashion industry, is that there is no waste stock associated with MTO because you're literally only producing what people are ordering. You don't have all of that stock left over. Now I've already kind of mentioned this a little bit when we're talking about bulk production, but the reality is that there is huge waste in bulk production and in the fast fashion industry. You know, there's a report that I'll tag it in the comments below. I'll put the link in there that estimates 30% of fashion production goes unsold. Can you even imagine that? We are producing an estimated 100 billion garments a year globally. 30% of that. So 30 billion garments potentially never get sold. And a huge amount of those, because brands don't want to give them to charity, they don't want to move them into outlets or various things because it's brand damaging, will instead have them destroyed. It's also better from a financial reporting point of view because then you're not sitting on inventory that affects your profit and loss. So they will write them off, they'll destroy them, they get incinerated. There was a report, I think it might even be as far back as 2019 now, but a report, again, I'll put it in the notes, that Burberry incinerated something like £27 million worth of stock in one year. Now that's Burberry, they're obviously a huge, huge global brand. They have a lot of reach. 
But just think about what that might also mean for all of the high street giants that we're also used to seeing that are always in stock with a million styles that have two week seasons. Just think about the volume of goods that are disappearing. And therefore also that's going to link back as well to those costings again, that contingency that you're building in to allow A for markdowns and B for wasted goods that never get sold. It's all factored in. So just think about those numbers and how that might actually work. And just think about what that means for the planet in terms of climate change. This is a really good sort of like meaty topic and I'm not going to go too deep into it at the moment, but it's a really good thing to be considering and thinking about when you are the producer of fashion. So if you look at it in terms of climate change, if you're bulk producing goods, you have the carbon emissions created in producing and transporting those goods around for them to go unsold, for them to then be incinerated, put into landfill. And therefore, you also have the carbon emissions of the destruction of those goods, many of which potentially will be made of synthetic fabrics, which then release pollutants into the air when they are burned, creating more greenhouse gases, creating more damage to the planet. And therefore, I always look at it as a bit of a double whammy. Not only are you producing these goods in the first place and causing damage, but you are also then causing damage at their end of life. And I think that sort of, you know, again, I'm not going to get into it too deep, but that whole scenario is why the fashion industry is a bit broken at the moment. And that's what we need to find solutions to move away from. But anyway, again, more in that in another episode. So let's move on. We've talked about waste. The next thing to mention is flexibility. And again, I think I mentioned this earlier, that when you do make to order production, you can just do things your own way. You can, if you want to, ignore seasonality of the fashion industry. You don't have to fit with normal seasons. You don't have to run a collection for one season only and then remove it. If something is working, you can keep selling it. Another side of that also is that if you launch a collection to market, And you can see that 50% of it is selling really well, some of it's doing okay, and then say 20% of it just isn't selling at all. You can just get rid of those styles, can remove them from your website, you can remove the samples from your stores, and you never have to worry about the investment that you have made in it already. Sure, I appreciate that sampling, product development, all of that costs money, but compared to having bulk produce those goods and having them hanging somewhere that you're paying storage for, You don't need to worry about the investment that you've made if you need to remove a style from your collection because it's not selling. So that's the amazing sort of level of flexibility that is offered through major order. Obviously, a flip side to that is that if you are wholesaling and you've therefore provided samples for wholesale businesses, which they have paid for, then you need to be fair about how often you are removing things. So you wouldn't want to have people pay for samples that you send out and three to six months later, you decide that you're going to ditch the style and you remove it because you haven't really given them a fair chance to sell it. So you do have to sort of consider the other stakeholders that are involved and decide how you want to manage that. But still, the flexibility there is really key. And that goes for them as well. You know, for a retailer who are buying from you at wholesale, They um, also have that flexibility of being able to invest more heavily in styles that work for them and remove styles that don't because it's made to order. And again, they haven't had to invest in stock, only samples. So it is really good from a flexibility point of view. And, you know, another side to flexibility is that you don't need to try to keep up with that ferocious pace of fast fashion. 
of always needing to have a new thing on the shelves and that obviously naturally really suits things like bridal and occasion wear and slower fashion brands those that are trying to really push that buy less buy better ethos and I think you know I really hope that we're all starting to see that consumer behavior is gradually starting to change and that that offers more opportunity for a larger proportion of the apparel industry to adopt this approach of making much more intentionally, making to order and trying to get consumers to commit to buying things that they really want to invest in. They can buy them really intentionally and they will keep for longer. And therefore, you know, the price being higher is then balanced out by the fact that they are buying less. So it really is sort of exemplifying that buy less, buy better approach. So the next pro that I'm going to highlight relates back to that initial sort of finance point that I made, which is improved cash flow. So again, because you're not having to launch a collection, invest a huge amount of money in all of your stock and then slowly recoup those as you sell through that stock and, you know, write off whatever's left. You are only really producing things when someone orders, which means that you're getting paid. You're then paying for it to be produced which is based on the orders that you've taken. And therefore you have naturally a much more consistent cash flow. So you don't have those huge, huge peaks and troughs that you would get in bulk seasonal production, which can be really good, again, especially for young businesses when you're starting off or if you're an owner founder of a business and therefore you have some reliance on this as a salary, then this sort of model works much better into it being a much more even keel in terms of your cash flow. And then the last thing that I will mention in terms of positives is that it's lower impact, which to be honest, we've already talked about the fair amount throughout this episode, especially in terms of talking about the lack of waste stock. But the MTO production method really does have the ability to massively lower your impact across so many areas. You know, you're reducing waste, you're lowering the use of resources on things like overproduction so the emissions created by producing more than you need to on storage on shipping on returns and so much more you know as I've talked about quite a lot so I won't labor the point but the end of life removal of goods from a system all of those things are reduced hugely by MTO so even if a portion of the industry like a bigger portion than we currently have were to utilise this as a model, just think about how much less stuff there would be and how much less impact we'd be having. I think it's really important. And, you know, we've touched a little bit on consumer behaviour. And there's a pro and a con here, and this is something that was picked up on my article, so I do really want to highlight it. Are we not considering what the customer wants, which is quick delivery, instant gratification? And... To be honest, no, it doesn't provide that. It doesn't. But I also think if there is to be any future to this industry and if we are to make the changes that we need to make to hit the net zero targets that we all need to hit, to hit the emissions reductions that we need to hit, we can't continue to facilitate that. We can't continue to provide for that particular customer mindset of instant gratification, instant delivery. We need people to understand the importance of considering a purchase and investing in something that they're going to make good use of, buying less and buying things that they'll want to keep in their wardrobe. 
And that also will naturally help move people towards understanding the motor order method more. Because if you're really considering what you're buying and you're considering it to be an investment rather than just a quick adrenaline hit of consumerism, then you will be happy to wait for it. You know, in the same way as we were talking about before, that exclusive perfume that you're subscribed to, that you know you're only going to get once in a while, but you're willing to wait for it because you know it's going to be something really good. And therefore, you can utilise that within your brand marketing to help people understand that what they're going to get out is so much better than going to the high street or going online and just pressing buy and getting something in a box a couple of days later that in six months time you're going to forget about. So... This is kind of what I want to say on that is that I really appreciate that right now a majority of consumer behaviour doesn't support this way of working. However, that consumer behaviour is no longer viable and therefore by helping the industry pivot more towards accepting these different methods that have less impact means that we can hopefully help to move consumers in that direction as well in order to achieve those targets. So, I think I've probably rambled on enough about MTO production. I'm sure you can probably tell from everything that I have to say about it how enthused I am by this approach. And I would firstly love to hear from anybody that is using this approach, thinking about using it, or struggling to work out how they might be able to use it. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'd love to have your questions. And if it's something that you're looking to implement, either you're starting a brand and you want to do it on this basis, or perhaps you want to pivot towards it, or maybe you're already using it and you're just struggling a little bit with managing it, then do let me know. I'm always available for a free discovery call to have a chat about whether my experience could be helpful in your business. And we can discuss potential ways that I might be able to help you. But equally, feel free to leave any comments or queries that you have in the comment section. Please, please do feel free to leave me a review if you'd like to. Five stars, I hope, if you're enjoying it. And of course, you can always email me. Again, I'll put all of the details in the notes, but hello at beverlysm.com is the email address that you need to get in touch with me. So I'll leave it there. Huge, huge thanks. I hope you've enjoyed the ramble and I hope it's been really helpful in your business and I will be back again soon with another episode. See you later.